Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Hello and welcome to Extra Time, a web-only sports program brought to you by Radio New Zealand Sport. On this week's show, surprise in the netball world after a former Australian captain was appointed assistant coach to the Silver Ferns. We talk to Vicky Wilson about her new job in the enemy camp. We catch up with the Olympic kayak champion Lisa Carrington, who's made a good start to her international season in Hungary. The V8 supercars race in the United States for the first time. New Zealand driver Fabian Coulthard fills us in on the Austin-Texas track. A consortium takes the licence to run the Auckland Blues. The rugby union chief executive Steve Chu has the details. And it's the final of the Oceania Champions League between Waitakere United and Auckland City. We hear from the Waitakere goalkeeper Danny Robinson ahead of New Zealand football's toughest local derby. Netball New Zealand sprung a major surprise this week, appointing the former Australian captain Vicky Wilson to the coaching staff of the Silver Ferns. Wilson has signed a two-year contract to assist head coach Waimarama Tomonu through to the end of the 2015 World Championships. Since retiring from her 15-year international career in 1999, Wilson has served as a coach most recently with the Queensland Firebirds. She told Stephen Hewson she doubts it'll feel odd being courtside and coaching the Silver Ferns. I learned very quickly once you hop into the, to the coaching ranks that it's a very different landscape from playing. So I've been really fortunate since I stepped off the court that I've been able to do a number of coaching gigs you know, in Queensland, in Australia, and internationally. So when Y gave me the call, I just thought it was a, a terrific fit. And I'll tell you, I, I didn't take much convincing to uh, put my application in. So Y approached you? Yeah, she did. She gave me a call. It was a bit of general chit-chat to start with, and then she just put it on me. And I've gone, oh, I haven't thought about it. When I hung up, I started to think about it and then by the end of the week I I put my application in and I, and I went through went through the interview process and from the moment I decided to put my my application in I just knew that this was something that the timing was right and something that I, I wanted to do. I'm sure there's going to be plenty of robust discussion with with Y and myself and I think that's really important to to help the players become the best they can be. And, and for me, my role specifically, working with that forward line and trying to you know, ensure that when it comes to the World Championships in two and a half years' time, the Silver Ferns are, are the, the gold medalists. Is that going to feel odd? I don't believe so. For me, there's one thing that I've always really prided myself on is my total commitment to any team that I've been involved with. And now that I've made that step and that commitment to the Silver Ferns line, the only thing that will will feel odd is if we don't win because that's what I believe in and I I love winning and um, that's what we all strive to do. You mentioned about robust discussions with, with why. You might have to go through a bit of robust discussions with people questioning the appointment of an Australian. Well, I, I think everyone would be intrigued to 
to see what I what value I can add to, to to the silver ferns environment. And I think once people understand that I'm here for the right reasons, and you know that I'm going to work very hard to to gain the respect and trust of the players. It may not be, though, questioning your credentials, more a case of why a New Zealander didn't get the job in the sense that it might be seen as a slap in the face for the quality of coaching here. Well, I think if you, if you look at the strengths of, of why, as a, as a coach, you're looking for someone who would compliment her, and I, and I believe that I do because I come from the shooting end of the court and I have coached as a, as a head coach so I have that uh, approach rather than it just being just specialist areas understand the importance of linking so that we don't just operate in silos. So I think that's integral to that high-performance program and that's what WISE is looking for and I think it's just going to be a great fit. But you could understand maybe New Zealand coaches feeling somewhat a slap in the face for the, the pathway here. Well, I think for, for all coaches we understand that it's... Uh, it's a professional landscape and everyone's trying to find out how they best fit into a, into a program. And there's always various opportunities for, for coaches to be able to navigate their way through the, the coaching world. So it's just a, a matter of time. That's all I, I would say to, to people and, and to work out who, where's your best fit. And for me, it was here. The you, you talked about obviously the, the shooting skills you bring, but it, it, more importantly, too possibly trying to undo the Australians is is going to be a factor too. I suppose one of the advantages of my approach or my background is that I have that intimate knowledge of of a daily training environment in Australia and the a shooting program that that we undertake and and just the training style of, of Australian teams. So certainly, I don't think there's any secrets anymore as such, but it's that, that intimate understanding and that ability to, to break down various patterns of play. So I'm sure that Y and I will have those discussions, but she's one smart lady and she's right across it all. But, you know, working with, with the players, it's, it's trying to find something just to add to that game or just to fine-tune or just something a little bit different, perhaps the same message, but said a different way in a different point of view. Looking from the outside at present, is there something, though, that stands out to you that you would immediately want to, to work on in the attacking circle? Well, I think for, for every team, doesn't matter whether you're playing a franchise level or international level, you're, you're looking for... Consistency, and that's one of the hardest things that we have in in our game because it's in such a confined space. And being able to for players have all seven on the court playing, you know, at, at their best at that one time. And certainly for the silver fans, it's also about developing the the depth of players in in the goal shooting circle. And that's one of my um, that will be one of my my key roles. Usually, as the this netball season rolls around, or with the the, the Trans Tasman competition, inevitably the discussion about Irene Van Dyke and her longevity raises itself. Do you think she's still up to international play? I've learned a long time ago never under never underestimate Irene. She's an amazing athlete, and 
to see her being able to take on all the youngsters and to stand her ground is, is a credit to her. And, and you know, she's been able to change it, her game slightly over the last few years, and I think that's so important. She's been able to reinvent herself. So if she can maintain that for the next couple of years, it'll, it'll be wonderful, and, and I hope she does because she certainly is the, the linchpin for, for the Silver Ferns. How do you think your appointment's going to go down in Australia? I think people are going to be you know, somewhat surprised. And, but there are those who, who know me really well will understand why this is the right move for me and those who wish me all the very best. The new Silver Ferns assistant coach and former Australia captain Vicky Wilson talking to Stephen Hewson. The Olympic kayak champion Lisa Carrington has made a winning start to her new international season with victory in the opening canoe sprint World Cup regatta in Hungary. Carrington won her favoured K1 200 event, finishing just over two one-hundredths of a second ahead of Carolina Naya of Poland. Barry Guy spoke to Carrington, who says her expectations heading into the regatta were high. I'm quite confident in the 200, so... I guess just as long as um, the things I've been working on in training, um, it's really good to obviously uh, test them out um, at racing. So obviously we'll go back and reassess how things went and then um, try work on them for the next couple of regattas. Uh, have you tweaked a few things because it's perhaps the year after an Olympics or something or you know, trying to adjust certain things? Yeah, absolutely. We're always working on um, improving technique and things like that. Always trying to get an advantage somewhere, whether it um, comes from just skill or um, getting fitter. So, yeah, always working on stuff. In the 200, it seems a bit like the sprint and the track and the 100, perhaps. I mean, it's obviously not just all muscle and power and that sort of thing, but that's what it appears to be. Uh, yeah, I guess that's... Um, it's a combination of being really, really strong and um, and also being able to apply that. So that's where technique is um, really crucial in um, the race. So, yeah, I guess the stronger you are and if you can apply that to the water, um, yeah, obviously the faster you'll go. So yeah. You won Olympic gold in what seems to be quite early in your career. So now as you sort of start another cycle, have you sort of readdress some things or you know what, what is your sort of philosophy um i guess i'm trying out the k1 500 internationally now so while i was doing the k2 500 with um erin taylor last year um this year um i'm giving the k1 500 a go so um that obviously is a little bit more work to do so i guess it's always important to have a challenge and with doing the k1 500 i'm um, finding new ways to improve, and therefore it kind of it helps out my 200. So yeah. And today's 200 race, from what I can tell, that must have been centimeters, was it? Uh, yeah, it was about. I guess it was about 20 centimeters or so. Um, yeah, so it was really close. Um, I couldn't tell when I finished if I'd won or not. But yeah, it's great to have a competitor so close, um, so that you need them to you know keep pushing and driving to make me go faster, so that's really important, that type of competition, yeah. You came from behind in London, Were you, what was this, what, had the race pan out today? Um, I'm actually not sure, so um, unless you can find a YouTube clip of it, um, I'm, yeah, so I guess I've been working on my start, so hopefully um, that went well, but yeah, it's really hard to tell when you're in the race, so. 
you're only looking forward. Yeah. <laughs> so what, what do you what do you feel? Like you've only got a few days now before you go to the Czech Republic. I understand. So you know um, more of the same. Uh, yeah. So we um, drive. Oh, we fly the Czech, Czech tomorrow, and then we'll be racing um, on Friday. So next weekend. So yeah, it's a quick turnaround, but. Um, yeah, so hopefully um, what we've learnt from this week and what I've learnt from this weekend I can apply and improve on the next weekend. So it's kind of just stepping stones towards where I want to get to. Uh, yeah. And the competition looks pretty hot. It was quite close today. Uh, yes, yep, it was uh, yeah, very good. I guess um, there's some really good competitors here and they they change between the World Cup races. So kind of we're going all three, so we um, probably got a good chance at meeting a lot of um, world-class athletes throughout all three events. So, yeah, be good. Uh, you're obviously on that next Olympic cycle, but continuing to win is important, is it, you know, in these events? Um, I guess winning's probably not the um, most important thing um, because all you're trying to achieve is some um, good good performances. So if you win or not, I guess it's not that important, but whether or, or not you can really learn from your racing is probably the biggest thing, yeah. Is there a World Championships this year? Yes, there is. We have World Championships each year, except for the Olympic year. Okay, and when when yeah. is that? So that's at the end of August, so the last weekend of August, um, yeah, heading into September. So we've got that in um, Duisburg in Germany. Oh, okay, so you have these yeah. three World Cup regattas, a bit of a break, and then the World Championships. Yeah, yeah, a bit of time in between, definitely, yeah. And, and the K1 500, you know, you're, you're keen on doing well in that? Yeah, I guess it's um, it's a it's a very it's a really tough event for myself, so it's a big challenge. So hopefully I can um, make some good improvements over this tour we're having at the moment, and um, be able to learn from that, and hopefully um, produce some good results at World Champs. That was Lisa Carrington talking to Barry Guy. The New Zealand Sprint Canoe Team competes in the Czech Republic this weekend. The V8 supercars will race in the United States for the first time this weekend as the competition tries to continue its global expansion. The round will be held at the Circuit of the Americas track in Austin, Texas, a purpose-built venue for both Formula One and MotoGP. Taking the supercars outside of Australia and New Zealand hasn't been a success so far, with the much vaunted 2005 race in China only lasting a year and regular races in Bahrain and Abu Dhabi having been scratched from this year's schedule. The New Zealand Holden driver Fabian Coulthard, who's currently sixth in the Drivers' Championship, says the Circuit of Americas is very different to what the V8 drivers are used to. The racing should be awesome. The track and the facilities are great. And I was fortunate enough to do a few rides for a few corporate guests and media and things like that a couple of weeks ago over there. So, yeah, I've got a little bit of an idea. I've got a simulator at home as well. So I try my hardest to uh, get as much laps as I can to do some laps and get the most amount of knowledge I can for a new event, a new track, or anywhere, regardless of where we go. So, um, yeah, it's pretty awesome, the facilities. Uh, obviously, an F1 circuit, uh, MotoGP race here as well. Now they can put V8 supercars to their bow. So, um, look, it's it's pretty cool. Uh, you know, the, t- the town of Austin's um, good fun. There's plenty of things to do as well. So it's uh, going to be one of those iconic events amongst the V8 supercars calendar. How different is it to, to other tracks? It's obviously very smooth. Um, you know, there's got a bump in sight. Uh, it's a Formula 1 track so it's very open um, there's not many reference points around because the walls are so far away for safety and things like that but we do a version of the Formula 1 track so we don't do the complete track uh, I think we missed about 1.2 k's off so 
Um, it's still going to be awesome. You know, we do some of the famous parts of the track, you know, the, the turn one, the breaking up the hill, which, you know, elevation's pretty, pretty very high, you know, relative to, you know, a place that we go to in Australia where all the tracks are pretty flat. Um, not as much excitement on offer as what Austin has to offer. So, um, yeah, look, it's uh, pretty hard to put it into perspective against some of our Australian tracks, but, um, yeah, look, it's going to be awesome. So not as bumpy as Hamilton or Pukekohe. <laughs> is that a good uh, is, is that a good thing or, or not? Oh look, I think uh, you know the things that were unique about Hamilton and Pukekohe is that you know those both those tracks have got plenty of character. Um, you know, they've got a car that's got a you know the new section of Pukekohe is obviously very smooth, not very bumpy, um, but the old parts very bumpy. So you have to have the car set up for both elements of that track, whereas. Austin's, um, you know, very flat, no bumps. You know, there's a bit of undulation here and there. So uh, you can set the car up a little bit more towards that sort of surface, um, whereas Pukekohe, you have to have it, um, you know, set up for both parts, which is sometimes quite difficult. Sounds as though it might be a wee bit bland. No, look, you know, I think, uh, you know, the action that we provided in uh, all the other races that we go to, um, you know, we're not afraid to run into one another. Um but I think this is going to provide plenty of passing, this type of this style of track. Obviously, on the way into the corners, it's very wide and open, but on the exit, it tightens up. So you're going to feel like you're going to have the move done and successfully pass. But, you know, as it tightens up on the outside, you know, you've got to make sure you don't run the guy off that you're passing on the exit of the road. So it's going to be, I think it's going to provide plenty of action and, you know, it should be good entertainment. But for V8 supercars to branch into America, it's massive. Um, obviously, NASCAR is big in America. So, Hopefully the locals embrace our championship V8 supercars and you know, they get a good following and a good crowd at the event. So is it a driver's track? I mean, is it going to even things up technically or is it simply going to be a, a bit of a speed race? No, I think it's going to be a, a, a tyre um, conservation race, really. Um, obviously, there's a lot of corners at that track. Um, we're unsure of what the grip level is going to be like, so... We just have to kind of play it by ear, but, you know, everywhere we go, no matter where we go, you know, Australia, Abu Dhabi um, and things like that in the past, we've always had great racing. So, you know, a big open track with no bumps but lots of undulation. Um, I think, uh, you know, the fans will have plenty of action and, uh, you know, have something to support. Did you get much of an idea of, of how much interest there is when you were over there a couple of weeks ago? Because, I mean, the V8s have tried to sort of move things around a bit before and may not have enjoyed the success they would have liked. What sort of response did you get this time? Yeah, look, it was awesome. You know, we were lucky enough, myself and James Courtney were lucky enough to be there over the MotoGP weekend. So we did a few autograph signings and that during the event. Um, and, you know, plenty of people come up to us, you know, were asking about us. They knew about who we were. Um, they wanted autographs and signatures and photos, and they said they can't wait to come back here 17th and 19th of May. So I think it's uh, got a good following. You know, it's only a smallish town. Um, you know, that's the, that's the type of place that you need to go to, to and have a town that embraces um, all the big events that come to town. Uh, so, yeah, I think it'll have a pretty good following. Are they going to rebadge you as Chevrolets to try and make them seem at home? No. They're <laughs> going to stay uh, the roaring lion on the front of our cars. You're, what, sixth overall currently, are you? Yeah, sixth overall in the championship. Um, you know, we've uh, we had a pretty poor clipsal, but, you know, ever since then, you know, we've been on the hunt back to the top of the championship, um, you know, one races, had pole positions, uh, you know, so it's all on the up. We just have to get some good, solid points over the weekends. If the car's not perfect, we have to consolidate and get some good points. So, you know, the bigger picture is the championship. Um, 
but I've been very happy with the, with the way the car's been this year. You know, we've rolled it out at every single track this year, and it's been fast, so I don't see it being any different. How much can you set the car up prior to it, to it getting there before you actually get out on the track and, and sort of get an idea of what actually might be needed? Um, you just have to, you know, go over all the information and things that you can collate um, prior to the event. Obviously, it's going to be pretty tough for all the teams. You know, no one's really raced there before um, or even seen the tracks. So it's going to be one of those things that, you know, it's going to be a, a level playing field. Everyone's going to roll the car up with what they think is going to be best, uh, try and replicate it or simulate it to tracks that we have in Australia and get a bit of a ballpark on setup. But, you know, it, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. So it's going to be a little bit of play it by ear and see how we go in the first couple of practices. Now, thankfully, we've got three or four practices, um, so that should help us out a little bit. But, look, until we roll the cars out, we drive them. You know, we're all out on there on the same day. We don't really know um, how we're going to perform. That's New Zealand V8 supercar driver Fabian Coulthard talking to Stephen Hewson. Four 100-kilometre races will be held, two on Sunday and two on Monday. The Auckland, North Harbour and Northland rugby unions have combined with a private investor to purchase the licence to operate the Blues Super Rugby franchise. The Blues is the third franchise to move to the model after licences were awarded for the Hurricanes and Crusaders last year. Under the licence, the provincial unions will hold a 60% share in the franchise, with private investment company Bolton Equities owning the other 40%. The Chief Executive of the New Zealand Rugby Union, Steve Chu, says the seven-year licence is not a bill of sale. It's a licence to operate, so we're not selling any of our intellectual property or any of our responsibilities around player employment and contracting. It's just an opportunity to run the franchise. The reasons we embarked upon this 12 or more months ago was we were looking to inject some fresh capital into professional rugby. We were looking to de-risk our own balance sheet because... We were financially responsible for all five franchises if they were uh, having poor financial years and we were also keen to inject some new ideas and expertise. And in the case of the uh, the consortium that's been put together to run the Blues, we're very happy that we've picked all three of those boxes. So the majority of this licence has gone to three unions in the Blues catchment. Why is that desirable? Uh, well, these are the three unions that have historically had input into the Blues, so they've got some, you know, they've got some historical connection. Obviously, it's where the majority of Blues players come from, and the, the Blues represent that part of New Zealand. That's who they play for. So, we think the majority of shareholding uh, lying with the three unions up here, Auckland, North Harbour, and uh, Northland, is entirely appropriate. And 40% of the licence has gone to Bolton Equities, which is a much larger share than other private institutions, which have taken an interest. I'm thinking about the Wellnex Consortium, which has only got 12.5% of the Hurricanes. So why are you comfortable with Bolton having such a a large, albeit a minority, holding here? Uh, Yeah, we've got to be careful with the comparison because of the Hurricanes, there are four parcels of private investment of 12.5%. So if you multiply that together, you actually end up with a number greater than Bolton. So it's actually quite comparable. We just split up differently in parcels. Um, This is the way that the the group here had wanted to approach it. They were looking for one equity partner and uh, Murray Bolton through his company, um, Bolton Holdings, have have been that group. So we're, again, as I say, entirely comfortable that it's a a good injection of cash and expertise and enthusiasm. What do you think Mr Bolton will bring to the franchise? Well, he's put his money on the the table, which is clearly important, so he's taking a risk. Um, He's a very successful businessman. In his own right, he's going to appoint two good directors to join him at the table, so he'll provide that 
uh, as well. Uh, he's very committed to the Blues being a successful long-term um, presence in world rugby. So do you think the licence can it improve the, the position of the Blues in terms of their support in Auckland against rugby league and, and other codes? Yeah, not, not in isolation, but certainly we see it as an important part of keeping rugby uh, preeminent in the Auckland region and going through up to, to Northland. So you know, as I say, they're, they're going to convene a, a pretty sharp board and their role will be, will be to make sure that the Blues are, are winning short-term and building depth long-term. That will all help rugby in, in this part of the world. Looking ahead to the future, the Chiefs licence would seem to be the, the next one on the block. Are you hoping that more local unions will, will take a similar interest? Uh, yep, no, it's work in progress uh, in the Chiefs region. And yes, the local unions are part of that work currently. So can't really say much more than that because it's all subject to some pretty um, stringent confidentiality and it's still work in progress. But we'd be hopeful that the majority of unions in that part of the world would also have an interest in whatever we put in place for the Chiefs. There's some rumours that Taranaki might be interested in the Chiefs. Is that true? Yeah, well, it's not a rumour. Taranaki have expressed publicly that they are looking at it. It's one of the options that's been worked through as we speak. But as I say, nothing's been decided at this point. And any thoughts on whether the, the Highlanders, a licence for them, might become available in the future? Well, it will at some point in the future, but not. it's not on our immediate um, work programme because we're concentrating on getting the Highlanders um, sorted out in terms of their, their performance on and off the field. That was the New Zealand Rugby Union Chief Executive Steve Chew. One of New Zealand football's biggest rivalries will reach a climax on Sunday when Auckland City meet Waitakere United in the Oceania Champions League final at Mount Smart Stadium. There's plenty up for grabs with the winner progressing to the lucrative FIFA Club World Cup in Morocco in December. The cross-city rivals have met seven times already this season with Waitakere taking the honours in the final of the National League. However, when it comes to the O-League, Auckland City has dominated, winning three of the last four tournaments. The Waitakere United goalkeeper Danny Robertson says his side's looking forward to another clash with its biggest rivals. We're pretty evenly matched and hopefully this is going to be another real big game between the two of us, which the last few have been obviously the grand final. And, and over the years it's always come down to the two of us in the National League um, and then obviously in the O-League as well now. The rivalry is strong, they're a good club and, and so are we, so it's always good when uh, you know two big clubs battle it out together. And obviously you've got a neutral venue for the game this week. Does that make a difference? I mean, it's still in Auckland, but do you find at your home games you do get a bit more of a crowd and um, you like playing at home more? If you go on our current record, we this season we've won every game away from home, um, both in the National League and in the O-League. So uh, for us, not playing at home in an odd kind of way is uh, is a positive. And and it's a it's a new venue, something somewhere a bit different. I've never played there myself, so um, we're looking forward to uh, we're looking forward to playing there and seeing what uh, Mount Smart's got to offer. You're hoping to get a few people along to the game. Do you expect a few of your fans will uh, show up? I think so. We've traditionally the Auckland City uh, Waitakere games have, have always brought in the the biggest crowds. For, for domestic football here. So with it being the Oceania Champions League final, I think um, there might be a bit of interest from, from outside as well. So hopefully a few neutrals will come along and um, maybe they'll jump on the Waitakere bandwagon if we're lucky. For your team, the, the O-League has been a few years since you've been there and you've had a lot of success in the National League in the meantime. Is this something that you want to complete? Yeah, this is this is massive for, for not only for me personally, but for, for the club. I mean, we we were at the World Club Championships in 2008 in Japan, 
um, and since then we haven't been able to uh, haven't been able to get there. And uh, Auckland have dominated this competition. And although we've been um, the dominant side domestically, uh, this is this is the one we all want to win. This is the one that gets us to um, play on the world stage. Um, and yeah, I mean, this is a massive game for for, for all. all all white hat people who are playing, um, the supporters and the club, and um, yeah, this this is the one we want to win. Is there any particular reason? Can you put your finger on any reason why Auckland City would have done better in the O League before when you've when you've had all the national titles? Um, I think over the over the years, Auckland City have always done well when they've gone and played in the islands, and we have always seem to struggle away from home in the islands when we're, we're playing in heat uh, and in different um, different countries whereas this season um, we've won all our away games so hopefully this season it's going to be something a bit different and we'll be able to get the, the victory against them. And what about with the style of the two teams? Is there anything markedly different or do you play a pretty similar kind of football? Well, both teams try and play football, which is good from a spectator point of view, but slightly different styles. I mean, Auckland City have obviously got a Spanish influence to their team anyway, um, so so they do like to play that kind of Barcelona way, um, and, and anyone who's played them knows that. But from our point of view, we also like to try and play football. Um, we like to try and mix it up a bit. I mean, the rivalry between the two of us on the field has um, shown that you know, both styles of football can um, can be effective. But uh, yeah, it'll be uh, it'll be an interesting one on um, on Sunday to see see what tactics each team have uh, got in place. Obviously, you know you know their team pretty well, and you know what they're going to bring. As a goalkeeper, if there was one one outfield player um, from Auckland City that you you're, you're telling your boys shut this guy down, who would that be? Oh, well, they've got a number of good players, Alex. I mean, they're a strong side across the board. And, um, yeah, there isn't one individual that I would say would cause us more problems than others. They're all decent and we've we've got to be on our toes. And, and we know that we've got to be at our very best to beat them. And uh, I'm sure they'll be saying the same about us. So, yeah, I mean, there's no one individual that um, that concerns me. You're expecting it to be a pretty exciting game with both teams. Um, show some attacking intent and be a good one for spectators. Oh, definitely a good one for the spectators. I mean, it's the eighth game um, that we've played against Auckland City this season, so some would say that it's, it's uh, seven too many. But I mean, most most people would watch watch Auckland City versus Waitakere and um, say that they're the best games to to go and watch if you're going to watch a game of football in New Zealand, just purely because of the rivalry, um, the competitive element between the two teams, and and the football involved. And, and there's some really good players on show as well. Is the rivalry pretty friendly, or do you genuinely not like Auckland City? You know. I've got a lot of respect for Auckland City, and I don't, um, I don't dislike them at all. I think, um, I think I've got a lot of friends who play for Auckland City. So away from the game, there's a friendship. But when we get on the pitch, it's, uh, it's like a, a, any local derby. There's no, um, there's no friends in in local derby games. So the rivalry is there on the pitch, off the pitch. It's a small place, Auckland, so um, in the football world. So it's common that players from both sides are, are friends across the way. The Waitakere United goalkeeper Danny Robinson talking to Alex Coogan-Reeves. That's extra time for this week. You can send your feedback to sport at radionz.co.nz. I'm Ben Robinson. Thanks for listening. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 
luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.